Welcome to another episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? And today, Michelle and I are delighted to be joined by Claire Osborne, who is a sustainability career coach. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Hi, happy to be here. Now, a sustainability career coach sounds like a really interesting job to have. Maybe we could start by talking about what that entails and the work that you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, fundamentally, it's really all about helping people use their careers to fight for the future. I certainly believe that our careers are some of the best opportunities that we've got to influence change. And so the work I do plays in that space. And there's there's two big aspects to that. There's one, how do you get into a role which um, matches your values, your purpose, gives you a platform to deliver change in? And secondly, once you're in that role, how do you be impactful in delivering change? And there's three really big challenges that I see for people working in the sustainability space that we've got to think about there. So the first one is, you know what, actually, it is pretty tough working in this space. You know, it is go, go, go. We have got our face pressed up against the reality of where we are on climate change and inequality and nature. So how do we stay confident, optimistic, energized in in the context of all of that? The second challenge really is, you know, related to the scale of the problem that we're working on. And that can mean that it feels like you have to work every hour that God sends. And, uh, and, you know, what that causes is some overwhelm. It can be difficult to figure out where to focus your time within that. And so the second kind of challenge I help people with is just finding an energizing focus for your work, um, a clear set of priorities that pulls you forward rather than feels like you're wading through treacle. And then the last one, the biggest one, is influence. You know, it is really, really flipping annoying to feel like you're trying to influence change, to land a message and feel like people aren't listening. And, you know, I often hear things like, I feel like I'm screaming into the void. And so the challenge that I help people with is how they build positive influencing skills. How do they build an authentic presence and have tactics and strategies that mean that they can proactively shape the way that, that people are thinking and invite people in and engage with the, with the topic of, of climate change and, and nature's destruction. So that's my work. And how did you get into this uh, career that you're currently in today? Is it something you've always done? Ah, it's a good question. Well, so actually, I started my career um, in sustainability in a fossil fuel provider. I won't mention their name just in case I have anything bad to say about them, but you can find them on LinkedIn, I'm sure. Um, and and so I learned a lot working there about how difficult it is to influence change. The the level of dissonance that exists for people around challenging topics of of um, our relationship with the environment and the change that we need to go through. Um, and so, you know, I spent a lot of time working on that. I experienced some huge burnout and some frustration and I ended up having to step out of that work entirely. Um, and I took a, a, a step to the left. I went and took a much more commercial role, um, thinking that I was still doing good in the world. I, I went to a, um, a comparison service, um, helping people switch energy. And I was thinking, yes, I'm, I'm helping little old ladies save on their energy bills. Mm. And after being there for a little while, I discovered what I was doing was shoveling money around a market and chucking some of it into venture capitalist pockets and so it really triggered for me a um a question of all like how do i have impact is it even really possible to have impact in in the world that we live in 
Um, so I quit my job, went off to try and find out. And, um, and, and, you know, the answer didn't come quickly. It didn't come easily at all. In fact, I, I took some time off and came back poorer, but, but no clearer. And so, um, that then triggered a, uh, a really active structured process around exploration about what I could do with my career. And out of that came coaching. I really love curious, direct conversations. And so, um, you know, I get to fulfill that need in coaching, but, uh, you know, still, you know, how do you apply that for impact? And I, and I, I, uh, was really, you know, asking myself this question when, um, there was an IPCC report that came out and it was a, a sudden kind of pin drop moment of realizing that actually if coaching is about helping people to, um, have more positive impact in the world and I see climate change is this, you know, huge problem that's facing us, then, um, we can put those things together. And so that's when, uh, you know, sustainability, climate coaching came together and I've been doing that ever since. Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, it makes sense. It's very logical. Uh, those challenges that you talked about, those three key areas are, are relevant to people. They're relevant to businesses, aren't they? In the same way at a different scale. Um, and so that all kind of tracks back. I mean, we, how are you finding things have changed since you started out on this to where you are now in as much as are you seeing, I mean, there's lots of data, there's lots of research talking about people want to be more purpose-driven, they want roles, they want to work with um, organizations that have got good sustainability plans. We've been talking to um, various organizations who will say that this is now a question that comes up increasingly. It's always been there, but it's now taking much more of a kind of priority in the questions that they're getting asked by new talent. There's bodies of research that showcase that particularly younger generations, Gen Z, Gen, you know, millennials, they want to work with organizations that are more purpose-driven, that have got these elements. And they you know, there's climate quitting. There's people saying, I don't want to work for these. I mean, you, you kind of told us your own story of almost climate quitting, you know, in, in that way. And Gem has been through a similar scenario. And so, and so there is this, there is this shift that appears to be happening that people are voting with their feet. That is a challenge. Like you said, you know, you, you yourself, your own personal journey is this and um, I ended up poorer, but still not necessarily with the direction. You know, there is that that challenge of of trying to be purpose-led, trying to do the right thing in the organization, having those levels of frustration, is it shifting? Is, is it that the research that we're seeing that showcases that people want to do that, is, is it moving in the right direction, would you say, from your yeah. experience, from where it kind of started to where we are now? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a really exciting revolution underway in the in the whole working economy, the working culture, and and you know you've talked about the the increase in demand for purpose led work, um, and I think you know we absolutely see that. You can see that in the Edelman Trust Barometer. You can see it in in research all over the place. But I think there's another kind of interesting aspect that's going on as well, which is um, a deepening of understanding of what it means to do impactful work, mm-hmm. um, and and not just uh in the in the environmental space but also um to be able to to see past corporations organizations claims of purpose and look to well what are you actually doing on the ground and what does that actually relate to 
Um, and I think this is really critical. There's some seminal work that I think is important to, to point to here. Um, there's a, a, a late anthropologist, David Graeber, who, who one of his pieces of work was a book called Bullshit Jobs. And, and, and in that, he, he looks at the types of work that have no positive impact to society. And his research suggests that about 37% of all roles are done by people who they would rate it themselves as saying, this isn't having any positive impact in society. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, you know, the remaining percentage of jobs, about 37% of, of those jobs are partly, um, what he would call a bullshit job. Yes. And he also described really well <laughs> what types of bullshit jobs there are. Uh, and, I'm going to share them with you because I think they might ring a few bells. Because yeah, so, with the 37 and the 37, it doesn't leave much percentage for the good stuff, does it? You know, so let's let's listen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that adds up to about 50% of all work being uh, what he would call a bullshit, bullshit. job. And yeah. I mean, you know, when we think about that, you know, 7 billion people on the planet, yeah. half of those people working aren't actually working to deliver positive impact in society. It's just a completely wasted resource. Yeah. Um, and so some of the, the kind of more, more, um, pertinent kind of aspects of, of bullshit jobs that he talked about is, is number one is box tickers. You know, these roles that allow organizations to claim that they're doing something that they're not. You know, maybe setting 2050 net zero targets, for example. Um, we've got duct tapers, you know, people who are undoing damage that other parts of the business are doing. You've got flunkies who are roles that exist to make other organizations look or feel credible. And, you know, there, there's, there's more categorizations they yeah. give. I really recommend reading the book, yeah. but you know, what's, what, what I think we really need to be asking ourselves is, is are the roles that we're doing um, fitting into those categories. And, you know, I'm sad to say for some of the people that I work with in sustainability, they're really questioning that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there is a, you know, a real growing understanding of what it means to be doing good work. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, increases alongside the demand for good work. And, and through all of those things, we're kind of seeing a shift in what's expected from yeah. employment. I think it's taking a shift another step further, isn't it, in that you don't have to have necessarily a an environmental role or a sustainability role with that in your title to be doing something that drives positive impact for sustainability in general, is there? There's, you know, we do sustainable marketing, which when we wrote that first book, everyone was saying, well, sustainable marketing is a complete oxymoron. It's, it, those two things do not go together. You can't drive sales and consumption and growth, which is where we were saying, well, we're not. We want to change it and use communication and skills for good. And then you see in sales and operations and Project Drawdown have created those job specs, haven't they, where you know everybody's role is a climate role. And I think this is about taking responsibility as opposed to just putting that sort of single lens over your role and going, well, my role is in HR, so what's that got to do with sustainability? Are you seeing people from different functions coming to you um, to, to understand what role they can play in, in driving a more sustainable future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the people that I mostly work with, they are um, in a professional sustainability role. It's one with a sustainability title, but they are asking themselves, ah, okay, well, you know, is the role that I need to do, is is the best place for me to be impactful in a sustainability role? And sometimes the answer to that is yes. And sometimes um, the answer is starting their own thing. Um, uh, and so, 
so that that's the largest group of people that I work with. But, um, you know, I have people coming to me from all industries, all sectors, from fashion, from construction, from food, asking me the question of, well, how do I get into a sustainability role? And one of the things that, that I think is always, you know, important to have the conversation with them about at that point is exactly what you said. It's not necessarily about having sustainability in the title. It's much more about having figured out what your sense of the impact that you want to create is, what you understand and believe about how to create that impact, and then how you match that up with the job that you're doing. And actually, I think that speaks then to a second trend that I'm seeing, which is an increase in people defining their own roles mm. and, um, and, and setting their own purpose in work. And so m- people starting to choose to go freelance, for example, because that allows them to be able to, um, pick and choose which work they do, which organizations they collaborate, collaborate with and be more impactful because of it. Yeah. And that's such a, you know, such a valid point. And, and I suppose from some of the experience that um, we've experienced over the years, having, it's often the sustainability leads that are inviting Gemma and I in as marketers, communicators to come in and kind of help them. Can you help us communicate? Can you help us cut through? Because often from our perspective, they're feeling pretty isolated. And, and, um, there's this element of that must be hugely frustrating. It, you know, not only are they feeling kind of isolated, they're, they're kind of banging their head against the the wall, and nobody's really listening, and it's not cutting through. Um, but they 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 kind of feel like they need some more voices. Um, and so, is that a common thread? And and how do you support people in those positions with those frustrations and challenges in in joining up? that voice in in a bigger way oh my god yes it is a massive challenge yeah 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 so you know the the majority of the people i'm working with are you know one of or a yeah. few of the people in yeah. their organization and they're trying to change the status quo which means yeah. that in their very nature they're um they're thinking in a very different way to other people and they're trying to get people on board with that and that is an isolating experience in itself and so there's a few things that, that we've got to think about within that. Like one is, first of all, how do we stop them feeling so isolated by helping them to be less isolated in that? How do we, um, create connections between people from different organizations? And I, I always think about in sustainability, you know, it's, it's much more about, you know, the colleagues that we have in delivering environmental change rather than the ones that are in our organizations. Yeah. So I have this concept of, you know, all these colleagues from another company that we're, we're working together with. And so how do you get connected with those? And so, you know, going along to uh, events and establishing deep relationships with those people, but also can you have, um, what I think of as a pit crew, you know, your people who you're going to see on a regular basis, who know you, who know what work you're trying to do, have insight to offer you, who you can have intimate conversations with, who you can essentially have a team meeting with and show up and say, right, this is what's gone on for me. This is what I'm struggling with. And, you know, see what support they've got to offer you, whether it's ideas, contacts, moral support. I think that's a really critical part of it. But the other part of it, obviously, is the, is the positive influencing skills. Yeah. Um, we, we've got to f- build ways for people to take a strategic approach to influencing change in those organizations. Um, and to feel 
capable of of dealing with that onslaught of of people who who might not be as engaged as you want, might not be as visibly active as you want, um, and feel like you've got a big old toolbox that you can dig in to 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 bring change to that organisation. Yeah, it's interesting because when we were interviewing Caroline Taylor, who is the ex-CMO of IBM's Global Market, she said one of the defining moments for her was when she realised that she had to build the business case as to why is this good, a great thing for the business to do as opposed to it's just, it's a good thing for the environment, you know? And she realised that once she started to build everything as a business case, that got a lot more attention. And I think it's it's interesting because I think you posted on LinkedIn recently about the biggest challenge of influencing. And it is really difficult to influence in this space all the time, isn't it? Because you've got so many other factors around the commercial side, which actually knock sustainability down the priority list on, on a continuous basis. Can you talk a little bit more about how you would advise, recommend people go about thinking about how they influence within their organisations if they've got a particularly, I guess, tough audience to bring on board. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think I think the first thing speaks to what you were just saying, right? Influencing is hard. So start from acknowledging that, accepting that, and you know, to, using that to lift any blame you feel on yourself for not having people um, instantly turn around and say, yes, you're right, we need to get on board and we need to take action. It is really challenging. And so hold it lightly and be kind to yourself in, in, in the context of that. And and with that as a, a basis and a foundation, you know, there are a few principles that I think are really important to apply to, to influencing in general and and particularly around um, environment like first of all you know people really really don't like to be forced to come to your opinion as soon as you try and push someone to come to your opinion they get their barriers up they they start resisting and you trigger something called my side bias which is someone starts getting entrenched they argue the opposite case and they convince themselves how right they are so really all that happens in that situation is someone comes away feeling even stronger in their resistance to whatever it was that you were saying. And so instead of, um, you know, forcing people to come to your opinion, you know, either, you know, telling them or like cheerleading along and, and, um, making them feel guilty for, for not doing what, what you want, there's a few approaches that can, can work much more nicely. And so, the first one is one I think that Caroline Hickman talks about, which I think is so lovely, which is this concept of seed bombing. That, uh, you know, if you've, if you've got a challenging point to put across, you've got a opposing opinion to, to state, you can throw it over the fence like a seed bomb. Just chuck it over the fence, allow it to land and metaphorically move on in the conversation. Yeah. So it might be, Oh God, you know. That seems really out of odds for for um, where we are with the, the climate change at the moment. Anyway, what are you up to this weekend? So you're just letting them have that piece of information and letting them chew it over without um, without pushing them too hard. A couple of other strategies that I really, really like and um, see clients have so much success with when they apply. So number one is... Do your research. I think this is where marketers are so strong, right? Like you know how to use customer research um, to to be really, really 
proactive in listening. And uh, Renee Lertzman has a, has a really great framework that she talks about for um, what you need to understand about your audience to be able to influence them. And, and, and the three things that I recommend listening for based on her framework is what aspirations do your audience have? What ambivalences do they have? In essence, where are they saying, yes, I want to do that, but so, so, you know, really understand that tension. And, and lastly, what anxieties do they have? And once you understand those things, you can influence based on what it is that they want, what it is that they are already feeling rather than trying to get them to feel something new or different. And so you can, you can base all of your messages, all of your um, content on that. And so that's a really nice strategy for proactive listening. And then there's another lovely strategy, I think, for listening in the moment when um, you're, you're trying to influence change, you're having a conversation, you're coming up against somebody who, who might see things differently to you. And that is really simply to find the 10% that the other person is right. If you're being presented with, you know, a challenging view, rather than going in directly to oppose that view, find the 10% that they're right, celebrate that, explore that. And I had a, a really good example of this a while back where I was getting my hair cut and I was asked what I did for work. And the response I got was, oh, but, you know, there's not really much point in doing anything about that, is there? And, you know, what she expressed was was concern that, like, it's not really going to make any difference. And and so I said to her, you know, actually, you know what, you, you're right. It, it is really hard to feel like you're making any difference on this huge topic. And asked her, you know, well, when was the last time you did something that you felt made a difference? And got her to tell me her story of the difference that she was making. And and then be like, oh, well, you know, well, if you were going to apply that to, you know, the problems that we face around climate, what what would you want to do? And all of a sudden she's telling me about how capable she is to 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 make change happen. And so in that conversation, just find the 10% that they're right celebrate it be curious about it draw that out of them you don't have to agree with it but just you know acknowledge that that there might be some some good in what they're saying and 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 that acknowledgement can really relax people help them feel really open to to influence yeah and i love that and it sits so firmly within uh thinking about communication because i think Many marketers and communicators get confused about communication and think it's all about broadcasting when actually, as you've just showcased, you know, it's the, the, the gold, the, the absolute heart of it is in the listening, is understanding, is finding out, you know, is that looking and listening, the researching, the, understanding so that you can meet your audiences where they are at, you know, and mm. it's, it's kind of something we talk about as marketers, meet your audiences where they're at, but you know, we're too busy talking to the audiences to, to actually stop and look. And, uh, you know, I often use it. We've got two eyes, we've got two ears, we've got just the one mouth, you know, as communicators, we should be doing a whole lot more looking and listening than we are talking. And mm. so that, that just leads me into this idea then of marketers and the, you know, Gemma and I as marketers that started to explore 
the sustainability landscape because we were becoming increasingly conscious. We were aware of the impact that the industry that we are part of and have worked with for, you know, many, many years um, and the impact that that has created and, of course, continues to create could use their skills, creativity and influence in a different way. We can be changing the narratives. We can be doing a whole lot more looking and listening. And, and that piece where you, you talked about there about having a strategic approach to engaging, you know, this is where marketers can really step into that strategic approach to engaging. So what's your view about marketers then and the role they play in the sustainability the, or the sustainable futures that, that we are looking to drive. If people are looking to drive um, that with the work that they do, how do marketers drive that? How do they fit in your perspective in driving that as uh, into the future to drive impact? Mm. Mm, yeah, I'm really glad that you asked this question because I think there's so much skill that marketers have that we can bring to this challenge. And I'm kind of glad like that's that story I told you earlier about the the um different parts of my career where there was a commercial element and a sustainability element because it meant I got to see the the skills that get used in those different places and one of the things I would love to inject into the sustainability sector is is more marketing and actually more sales skill which feels a bit naughty to say if I'm totally honest but there is a um an incisiveness a ballsiness that um that comes um in sales that I think that we could we could do with with applying here um and you know there's all sorts of different um techniques and skills that that marketers use things like what we've talked about the understanding where somebody's at the research finding what in sustainable influencing might be called the objects of love, the things that we can use to pull people forward. Um, Things like how do you create a clear message? You know, in, in sustainability, we are terrible, terrible for confusing words. Net zero. What does that even mean? Carbon Not neutral. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, you know, I, I work in this space. I, I teach positive influencing to people in this space. So I have to check the definitions. Yeah. So, you know, how can we expect people who aren't as ingrained in it uh, as us to understand that? So helping to create clear rather than clever messages, you know, is yeah. a thing that, that marketers absolutely can do. And there's another principle from, from, from marketing that I think, um, is really important to, to, to play with in sustainability as well. And that I hope, um, marketers would, would bring in, you know, some rigorousness around is, um, you know, how do you really only sell the next action? Like, you know, at, at the moment, we're asking people to engage in saving the world. That's bloody yeah. huge. Yeah. How does, how does anybody feel capable in doing that? And so how do we just define what's the next thing? Yeah. What's the next thing on the path so that we can keep growing the team of people who are active um, and and the action that's being taken to address our environmental crises? But also t- telling that story of how much better it's going to be mm. if we do take this path, you know, and change direction. Because let's face it, where we are now is pretty shit, isn't it? And, you know, I don't believe, you know, from from all those people that go and do their jobs that feel that the jobs, as you said, are bullshit jobs. And from having all of these challenges that we face, 
to be able to communicate what the future would look like and would be has surely got to be a better place for everybody and, and drive people to to understand and believe that actually by doing certain things, they too can be part of that change and within their roles, no matter where their roles are and what function they're in. Oh, absolutely. And I see it in in a very specific, exact way, which kind of gives me that absolute confidence and clarity around this, which is when people are are looking to change careers into a more impactful career, one of the biggest blockers that they have is if they if they can't see opportunities in front of them to do that kind of work. And so there's all sorts of different aspects to the career change journey. But one of them is just getting people out there and seeing what's possible. Yeah. You know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And that's true in climate change careers as much as it is in getting people to sit up, want to be a part of creating change to address our environmental crises. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess one of the big questions, and it's certainly something I, I suffer from personally being in this space, is how do you avoid the burnout and and that sort of, I don't know, from my personal perspective, that battle in your head when you are, you know, faced with, all, when you're facing into the challenge, you're reading everything that's happening all the time because it's what you do. And then you're having conversations where, you know, some people are so open and they just want to be part of the change and they're up for it. And then obviously there's people that, as you said, mentioned have, you know, they question it and that's absolutely fine. But it is tough, isn't it, to keep your motivation up in this space sometimes. Sometimes you just go, I'm going to be Eeyore today and I'm just going to sit and I'm not going to, I'm not going to get involved in anything. And other days you're like Tigger. So how, how can you get that <laughs> balance when you're sort of faced with a huge, huge challenge, but your work is so purposeful that you just, you get drives you every day to want to keep doing it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think part of it is allowing yourself to be Eeyore on some days. Yeah. Um, and and uh, this is such a critical question. I have had over 160 conversations with people working in this space. And there's a consistent question that I ask them, which is, you know, if you don't figure out a direction in your career, what does that mean for you? And the response is heartbreakingly uniform. It's if I don't find a way to be more impactful, I think I might need to quit, but I can't because this is too important. So I'm yeah. stuck in this yeah. tension between, you know, working hard on something that, that I don't feel like I'm making a difference on and not having an alternative option. And, and, and there are alternative options, you know, that, you know, that's the first thing that I want to say is there's, you know, there's, there's lots of work and lots of jobs that we can do that make a difference. And there's ways that we can shift our mindsets to help us to do that. Um, and there are, you know, three big myths I see that really contribute to, um, to, to burnout. And so the first one I want to talk about is, is the myth that nobody cares. You know, you, we talked about it earlier. You're going to feel alone if you're telling yourself nobody cares. It's all on you at that point. Um, and, and the truth is that, that that's just not the case. 77% of people in a 60,000 people, 23 country survey recently said that they want their governments to do everything it takes to tackle climate change. And so the idea that no one cares is untrue. 
Um, and so, you know, surround yourself with people that care. Put yourself into conversations where people are demonstrating their care. I'm sure your listeners will have heard about People Planet Pint. It's a fantastic yeah, yeah, network for that, really yeah. informal, really friendly. Um, and so, so uh, you know, get yourself into a community like that would be the first step, you know, we're, we're 500 times more likely to stick at something when we've got buddies. <laughs> and, and that's what this is, is, creating those buddies. And so, so that's myth number one, nobody cares. Myth number two is probably the most pernicious myth. I'm not making a difference. It's, it's this black and white thinking of either I've made enough of a difference, I've fixed the whole problem, of climate change, or I've made no difference whatsoever. And the truth is always in the grey area, right? That that um, actually we are making some difference, and so we've got to shift focus to um, to to be able to spot that difference that we are making. And I think this is another interesting link to to marketing. In you know, in in, in marketing often taught to, to to really demonstrate that gap between where you are now and where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And and instead we want to shift focus to the to the gap between where you are now and, and where you've come from. And so just take time to celebrate small wins, to notice the things that are, are shifting. It can be easy to 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 miss those things and have them pass you by and not have them resource you. So um, set up ways for you to reflect on what is changing and acknowledge those things so that they can fuel you. And and the third myth I want to touch on is um, that the you know the only route to impact is is working incredibly hard. You've got to work really really hard to make the biggest difference possible. And I don't know, you guys probably have all these examples of times when you've stepped away from your desk and the answer just drops on your lap. You know, it's just the other week I was trying to do some writing, complete block, like half writing everything, not getting anywhere with everything. And I went for a walk um, down the river and it was just like the ideas came flooding in. I was walking along recording <laughs> my thoughts because I was like, I can't, I can't lose these thoughts. And, and so... Um, create space for those those thoughts to come in. You know, our our brains uh, operate in two ways: either you know, really focused problem solving, or a, a more mind wandering um, approach, which allows insights to rise to the surface. Um, and by being really active all the time, we're not allowing those insights to rise to the surface. So. Um, really actively put in place the the boundaries that you need to be able to 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 have that time and also understand your own triggers understand the lies that you tell yourself that stop you from doing those things and we all have them like one of the the lies i've told myself in the past and still continue to tell myself on the bad days is that um you know that that you know everything's not going to work out unless i keep a really tight eye on it so i can never relax and 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 stop paying attention to it um for other people it's that you know that pleasing others is the only route to acceptance or being rational is the only way to um, to deliver results and emotion shouldn't come into it. So just know your own triggers, know the things that stop you from stopping when the time comes. 
Yeah. So those are the three three myths. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, there's just so much packed into all of of that, Claire, for our listeners. I mean, so many nuggets, so many gems, so many fantastic takeaways and and things to really think about and, and ponder. So thank you. We like to ask our guests the three same questions at the end of every uh, interview. And so coming at you then with our very first question of those three is, can marketing save the planet? What's your view on that? Mm. Well, I definitely think marketing skills can save the planet. Absolutely. You know, I... One of the challenges that I see in sustainability is, is that, that people um, are backwards and coming forwards in selling the vision of sustainability. Yeah. Um, people can be a little bit squeamish about um, uh, about asking things like challenging questions, about setting up the framework that um, that helps people understand and explore their own ideas. And so we need marketers incisive, bullishness at times um, and so so yeah I think marketing has exactly the skills that we need to win hearts and minds and until we win hearts and minds everything else is going to be so much harder absolutely and what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time mm, I want there to be lots of freedom lots and lots of freedom well yeah I mean I I, I think you know as I've talked about there's a lot of work that goes on at the moment that um, isn't impactful, that isn't creating value in society. And um, the reason that I see that people do that is because that they aren't safe to be able to make choices to not be able to do that. Mm. And so providing safety to humans is a self-governing way of enabling good in the world. And so, so there's a few things that I would love to see happen in the future. One is more, more, of a universal basic income. Uh, we, when, when we give people the money to survive, we see all of these societal problems fall away. We see crime drop. We see um, more engagement with politics. We see health um, increase. We see uh, people setting high aspirations for themselves. And so I would like to see a universal basic income be, be more prevalent. And I think probably a knock-on impact of that, but also something I'd like to see independently of it, is more flexibility to choose your working hours. Um, You know, the idea that we should all be working a five-day week, and I want to say nine to five, but, you know, who do you know that actually does that, um, is insane. You know, it really doesn't set ourselves up to bring our best creative thinking to the challenges that we face. And so... Uh, you know, there's obviously the campaign for a four day working week, which I support. Um, but I also think four days is a slightly arbitrary number, isn't it? What, yeah, what we yeah. really need is for people to have more flexibility to choose their, their, their working patterns. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, lastly, more independent business off the back of that, more people defining the work that they're going to do and, and setting out to do that, uh, on their own, on their own terms. Uh, so yeah, those are the things I'd really love to see from, from business over the next few years. Fantastic. Fantastic. And you've given loads of advice, um, in this in this interview, Claire. But if you were to give just one piece of advice to marketers looking to become more involved with their organisation's sustainability agendas, what would that be? Ooh, interesting. With their organisation's sustainability agendas. Well, I think the 
the first thing I would encourage you to do is go and have a conversation with the people who are responsible for sustainability and ask them, what's going on? How can I get involved? The sustainability specialists within organisations are desperate for support. And so they will bite your hand off and they will give you um, uh, routes to develop skill, to develop case studies that evidence your skill to build your career and your capability to to do more impactful work in the future so go and have a chat with them understand what work they're doing and how you can be involved in it couldn't agree more and that's something that we we always talk about the internal communication and conversations are as important aren't they as those those external communications and, and and conversations Claire, where can people and our listeners find out more about the work you do? Yeah, come and find me either at my website, claireosborne.co.uk, where you can book career strategy sessions to help you figure out um, the path that's going to help you have the most impact. Also, come and find me on LinkedIn, Claire Osborne. I spend a lot of time there talking about the challenges and the solutions that we face in doing impactful work. Um, And so I will be super excited to connect with everybody there. Fantastic. Thank you. And we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. So that just leaves us to say a huge thank you, Claire. (laughs) 